Well, good morning. If you will, please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, if you're not already there. Isaiah chapter 6. You may also want to get a pen handy. Hopefully you have a bulletin or something to write on. We have several scriptures we'll be going over this morning. And I most definitely want you to double check me later. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5 is our text this morning. It reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let us pray this morning. Dear Lord, we lift you up. We ask you to fill your house with your spirit. And dwell each of us, Lord, that we may seek to understand your holiness more. Let us put aside all worry, doubt, fear, reservation, and focus solely on you. God, I ask that you indwell me with your spirit, that it is not the words that I want to speak that come out, Lord, but the words that you have for us. Thank you for all that you do for us. Help us love you and love others. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Looking at our text this morning, it is one of uncommon nature, one that we don't get a whole lot within the Bible. It is a glimpse, a theophany, and we'll go over that in a little bit, of God. If we look at verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. First and foremost, Isaiah is giving us actually a time frame. The year that King Uzziah died. Some of you may be familiar with that name, I hope. He was a king of Israel. So we're going to look in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and understand who the king was, how long he reigned, and what happened. So looking at Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 3, it reads, And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah, after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, his mother's name, was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. So we have this man, Uzziah, who the people elected to the throne at the age of 16 and reigned for 52 years. If you didn't know in the history of Israel, that's quite a long time. He was one of the most loved, successful and impressionable kings in Israel's history. Let's skip down to verse 16 through 21 and see what happened to Uzziah. As we see in Isaiah chapter 1, in the year that he died, so we're going to look at how he died. Starting in verse 16, But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord 
to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord, who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong. And it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. So we have a successful king in which pride took control of his life. In doing so, there was a what we would consider a strange occurrence. Something about burning incense at an incense of altar in some place and 81 people running after him telling him, no, stop. Well, if we look at the book of Leviticus, we understand what's happening. A man not called by God was performing an act to be only performed by those called by God in the temple of the Lord. Because of this and because of the anger that ensued, the Lord caused leprosy to break out upon Uzziah. Also referencing Leviticus, we know then, since he had leprosy, he could no longer be amongst the people. He therefore had to go out away from his kingdom, from his people, due to his pride and his arrogance until the day that he died. A successful king. Looking back at Isaiah chapter 6, the reasoning behind Isaiah's mentioning of this is because anyone who lived during that time would have known exactly what year that was. For those old enough to remember the assassination of President Kennedy, you probably know exactly where you were and exactly when it happened. It's something you never forget. For those old enough to remember September 11th, you know exactly where you were, exactly what you were doing, something you can never forget. The same is present here at this same time frame. When Isaiah says he saw, that is considered a theophany. And a theophany is a visible manifestation of God. It's a vision. We also see a mentioning of a train of his robe. Now, we don't have monarchy here in the States, thank goodness. We went past that 250 plus years ago. But in the coronation of kings, especially queens, they are typically quite eloquently dressed, including a long train. This train of God in this temple filled the entire temple. That shows the majesty, the wonder that is God. Looking at verse 2, we're introduced to some created creatures that are unfamiliar to us. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. So we have a sixth-wing creature, multiple of them, surrounding God, sitting upon his throne. Two wings covering his face. Now why is that important? 
because of the glory and the holiness of God. The creature was unable to withstand, to be in front of such glory, such holiness, without intercession, without blocking. So we have two covering the face. Where can we also see a relation to this? Well, we go to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, we see a similar situation happen with Moses. Chapter 33, verses 17 through 23, and it reads, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. I want to pause real quick before going to 19. What a phenomenal statement by Moses. One that I don't think I could have the courage to ask. God and Moses speaking together. This is right after the Ten Commandments. And Moses Ask God, please let me see your glory. Verse 19 reads, And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but not but my face you shall not see. We have God telling Moses, For no man shall see my face and live. So we understand that there's a radiance, there's a glory, there is something about the being of God that man cannot stand in front of, cannot be before, without some shielding. So we see the same in these creatures. We are both as Moses, as a human, and these seraphim, created creatures of God, neither which can withstand his glory in its fullness. We know later on, as Moses comes down off that mountain, he goes before the people. And are the people rejoiced to see Moses? It's been a long time. He's the leader. But what's their response? Fear. Terror. Why? Because of the radiance of the face of Moses. We just read that it was a backwards glance of the kind of refraction of the glory of God of which radiated upon Moses' face that the normal person could not stand to be around. So for a few chapters, actually, in Exodus, we have Moses wearing a veil in front of the people so that they could withstand God's glory that was radiated upon and from the face of Moses. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. This is one of the most interesting passages in the Bible in reference to the character of God. God is holy. How holy? So holy that it's repeated three times. Now, in the English language, we have many ways in which we could emphasize something. Whether that be italics, an exclamation point. But in Hebrew, 
the way to emphasize is repetition. Here, instead of just repeating once, we have it twice over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Many of you recognize the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D that should be in your Bible. That is for a reason that is not a typo. If no one has ever explained to you, that is the English translation way of presenting God's name. The name he gave, I am. Which is translated Yahweh. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is separate from capital L, little o, little r, little d. So do you recognize that in Scripture when we have all capitals, it is speaking of Yahweh, God Himself. The threefold repetition is the strongest sort of superlative. This is the only one of God's attributes that is repeated in this way. This is declaring that nothing is as holy as God. Nothing is as holy as God. Looking at verse 4, we have the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. This seems very passive. But it's interesting to look at why is it significant with the smoke? What's the big deal? Because we have the foundation shook. We have several times in Scripture where we recognize earthquakes caused by God. The most commonly one known that the death of Christ. We know the ground shook and the veil was torn. Here we have a similar happening but with an aura of smoke. Well, throughout Scripture, we can see that the presence of God is commonly united with man through fire, smoke, earthquake, or lightning. If we look at 1 Kings chapter 8, we can see an instance of this. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 through 11 reads, And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. What's happening here is we actually have the building of the physical temple. And as they were finished, they satisfactorily completed the temple. God's presence came down and filled the temple. So much so with smoke that no man could enter. We can also look at Revelation chapter 15. Revelation 15, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name standing by the sea of glass with harps of God in their hand. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, 
clothed in pure, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. We have a well-known story, prophecy, of end times that will happen, in which God's wrath will be poured out on seven angels from seven bulls. And we have God's glory filling the sanctuary until it is finished. If we skip back to Exodus chapter 19, we also see this. Exodus 19, 18 reads, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Why is it important to go through such seemingly unrelated scriptures? Because we should know God. We should know his character. Scripture tells us past and future events of when his glory is among us. We should learn what his glory looks like. We should anticipate the coming of his glory. Looking back at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, Yahweh of hosts. Here we get a completely authentic, raw feeling, description, and interpretation of the state of man before the glory of God. Isaiah is astonished by God's glory, so much so that he becomes afraid and pronounces a curse upon himself. Woe is me. Woe is the recognition of the horrific state that we are in as God's created beings and image bearers. Because of this terrible state, we need a mediator. That mediator is Jesus. Without anything between us and God, we are unworthy. If anyone sees the face of God, if any man sees the face of God, he will not live. So we need something between God and us. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came off of His throne in heaven was born of a virgin, lived a sinless, perfect life. An example to us all of loving God and loving others. He was tried, convicted, and crucified for sins and wrongs he did not commit. 
while bearing the entire wrath of God. For you to be saved. Who was then raised three days later and has returned to the right hand of the Father. For those of you in our Wednesday night class, the purpose of the book of John is that these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what life in his name, not just life, but eternal, everlasting life. Without it, we cannot stand. Woe is me. Isaiah was in the presence of the glory of God and realized his unworthy state that he was in. So Kevin, why talk about God's holiness? Well, we need to talk about it. That's why. And the question is, do we talk about it enough? Well, we talk about it kind of enough, but not enough and not always in the right or correct context. We speak about God's holiness as an adjective attached to his existence that works in our favor. We love to say God is holy, God is just, God is righteous, God's sovereign, and God is love. But do we really mean it? Understanding the characteristics of God doesn't necessarily mean that we believe in the characteristics of God. We may speak, as it, speak of it as an adjective that works in our favor, but in our natural state, as we see here in verse 5 of Isaiah 6, without sanctification or justification, God's holiness is not in our favor as we are rebellious creatures with whom God can have nothing to do with according to his very nature and character. If you look at the character and nature of God without sanctification, without justification, without being made right through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God can have nothing to do with this. I believe we have a truly misplaced understanding of God's holiness. We really don't read about it that much. We really don't talk about it that much. We don't spend a whole lot of time teaching about it. Throughout church history, the majority of it actually was centered around proclaiming God's holiness. It hasn't been until modern years, the last couple centuries, that that has lessened. Why is that? Well, we spend more time in church talking about sin than we do God's holiness. Why do we do that? Well, if we're going to be raw and honest with ourselves, we're way more comfortable talking about our sin than God's holiness. In this day and age, Sin is projected at us, left and right. We hear it's okay. We hear it's fine. How okay is it to promote sin? I'm not sure if many of you wander around the world of Twitter, 
I try to avoid, but unfortunately, or fortunately, I landed on the right tweet on the right day to catch a glimpse of how much we promote sin in this world. Boston's Pediatric Hospital is now okay in promoting with published, edited, official content that they are willing, accepting, and able to do gender-affirming hysterectomies on young girls. This is posted on the internet by a hospital that knows the dangerous implications of doing such procedures, but are so okay with sin that they are blinded by what's right. And if only it were that bad. We know it gets worse. We see it on the news every day. But we as a church, as much as we may put a facade on the outside and say we have not accepted and succumbed to sin, but we get real comfortable talking about it then. And in doing so, don't focus on the main thing. The main thing being what? God. Wednesday night I started our lesson asking a question. Some of you may remember the question. What is the chief end of man? It's not very proper English for these days. So let's kind of simplify it. What is the ultimate or main purpose of man? To glorify God and praise Him forever. How can you be glorifying God if we are so focused on the sin of this world? We know it's bad. Flip to chapter 3 in the beginning of the book. Started a long time ago. But that does not give us the right to forego talking about the holiness of God. To glorify Him and praise Him forever would be to focus all of our attention, our efforts, our energy, our words, our songs on Him. But why are we so comfortable talking about it? Well, the nature around us promotes it. We're also selfish. We all know we're selfish. Whether or not we'd like to admit it, we are. And sometimes, we don't agree with all of God's characteristics equally. In our selfishness, it is easy for us to not agree with all of God's characteristics equally. Rhetorical question for you. Do you love God's sovereignty, justice, and holiness as much as His love? You don't have to answer. Do you love God's sovereignty, justice, holiness, as much as you do His love? Probably not. But why? Because we don't spend enough time reading and learning about God's characteristics outside of His love. I love John 3.16 as much as the next person. But in an oversaturation of it, 
we are easily swayed towards lifting up, promoting, and loving that characteristic of God more than the others. To love God is to love God as a whole, not just a part of God. Why else are we comfortable talking about sin more than God's holiness? Well, we find ourselves sometimes thinking of of ourselves in a comparative sense, leading us to see sin, or our sin, as less bad than other people. I might do this, but it's not as bad as this person who did this. It's very easy to compare. What does this lead to? Well, it leads to having a higher view of ourselves. What happens when you have a higher view of yourself? You immediately have a lower view of God. Why else do we struggle talking about it? Well, we've normalized sin. We have allowed ourselves to become numb to sin. To the point of accepting certain sins and or losing the ability to see or recognize sin, whether it is in our lives or the lives of others. By normalizing it, we lose the guilt that we should feel as a result of our sin, leading us back to repentance to God. By normalizing sin, we lose the guilt we should feel as a result of our sin leading us back to repentance to God. Without that guilt, we unconsciously forego seeking the forgiveness of our sins. Why may we not love or agree with all aspects of God's character equally? This is a big question. So Kevin, if you're telling me that I may not love all of God's characters and attributes equally, why is that? Well, that's because we don't agree or hold with a biblical view of God's character. Well, that's a heavy statement. Why put it like that? Because to have a biblical view of God's character is to look at the entire Bible, not just the parts that we like to talk about. That is a biblical view. So why may we not like or agree or have a biblical view on God's character? Because some aspects of God's character like holiness, sovereignty, righteousness, justice do not fit within our idealistic, closed-off, boxed-in, and limited thinking of how things should be or what God is. Therefore, we accept what works for us and what fits our beliefs and drop what does not comply or nicely fit in with how we want things to be. Our partiality towards our thoughts and ideas surface quickly when we are willing and actively choosing parts of Scripture to ignore, misinterpret, and otherwise slaughter in order to justify our inward wants thoughts, and feelings. The higher the view you have of yourself, the lower view you will have of God. And in doing so, you will be more comfortable, more willing, and more self-justified to leave out certain parts of Scripture 
that may not conform with your idea, your belief, or how you think it should be. So Kevin, where do I start? Well, put the first things first. That's where you start. What is our ultimate purpose? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to praise Him forever. Start there. Put your face in your Bible every single day. Do you really love God if you're not reading His Word every day? Potentially. Are we able to understand what he's saying? Is he able to speak to us? Is he able to use us in the way that he intends without reading scriptures every day? There's a possibility. But those are greatly lessened when you forgo the reading of his word that he has given us. Where else do you start? Well, you pray. You get down on your knees. You ask God for forgiveness. And focus on having the knowledge, the wisdom, and the insight to continue learning about Him. So that we're able to give a defense for what we believe. You should know what you believe. Seek answers through prayer. If when reading Scripture and you don't understand something, your first inclination is go to, let's say, a commentary, your favorite podcast, maybe your favorite teacher on YouTube, you have your priorities wrong. You should look to God. Seek Him first. Ask Him what? It will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If you're not listening to Scripture, if you're going elsewhere to find understanding. Those are good supplements. But they should not be your first thing. Okay, Kevin, what else can I do? You can truly worship to glorify God and praise Him forever. Not just one day a week. Every single day. All the time. Forever and ever. What does truly worship mean? Give your all to Him. Pretend like you're talking to Him right in front of you. The whole praise team would tell you we are not a concert. We don't try to be. Lord have mercy on us if we try to be. We are mere facilitators for the people of God to lift their voice to Him. So do it. God doesn't care if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. We're going to have glorified bodies in heaven anyways. Give Him your all. If not for Him, at least do it for Jesus. Because what did Jesus give? Literally His all. For you. So give your all to God. Okay, what else can I do? Seek greater understanding. Okay, how do we do that? This is where the supplementations come in. Get together with a group of men, a group of women. Read Scripture aloud. Anybody remember in Acts when the church grew by thousands? In one day? What were they doing? Reading Scripture and praising God. You want to grow as a church? Read Scripture aloud and praise God. You want to have a bigger impact in the community? Read Scripture and praise God. And if there ever comes a point where you're like, I don't really know about this. I'm not sure what this is saying. Then seek help. Seek an elder. Seek Mark. Seek one of our teachers. 
They don't have the answer. Pretty sure we know where to look or who to ask. Many of you may chuckle, but pick up a catechism. I say that because my Wednesday night group knows how firmly I believe in them. How firmly? Some of you may not see this, but it's a little yellow booklet. Pretty, kind of tattered by now. Not quite, but we're getting there, which is a good thing. It's my first book of questions and answers. Number one, God. Who made you? God. Number two, why did God make you? To glorify him and enjoy him. Number three, what else did God make? God made all things. See how easy that is? Now this is simplified. But it's scriptural. There are scriptures that tie to each one. And it goes through the Ten Commandments, the doctrine of God. You get to the smaller catechism. There's 110 questions. The larger ones, nearly 200. Why is that important? Know what you believe. If you believe it, you should know why you believe it. You should have an understanding. By the way, this one's for our kids. If any of you grab Tennessee, you could probably go through the first maybe 30 of them. And he would, he would give you the answer. He's five. So you're not too young and you're not too old. I think we've proven that on Wednesday night. It's never too old to learn about church history. You're never too old to know what you believe. Don't settle. Don't believe this sinful human behind this pulpit in what we're saying. Don't take us for it. Look in the Bible. You should be verifying everything that we say through Scripture. Stand up for what you believe in. Let's turn our focus away from politics for a while and let's just put our noses in the Bible. Your anxiety will go down. Your stress will go down. Your love for one another will multiply. Your understanding of God and His character will multiply. This church will multiply so long as we put first things first. God's holiness is not merely just something we should rattle off of our tongue, but believe it's honor and respect among all the other attributes of God. I'll challenge you, if you don't know them, find them. As open as the teachers are here to answering your questions, you should have a fire, a drive, to put your nose in this book and find it for yourself. If exhausting all the scriptures and you still don't have an understanding, then pray. And if still unsure, then seek guidance from an elder, from a teacher, from a pastor. I look forward to seeing what heaven's like. What an awesome day. The worst day of our life will probably be knees shaking, standing before the judgment seat. But that will also be the best day. I know personally 
that I don't want to be the one that is thrown off, surprised by what God is and who He's like and His characters and how awesome He is because of my neglect of His Word and what He's given to us. And I don't want that for you either. So let's start putting first things first. Let's pray. Dear God, holy, holy, holy are you. God, on this earth, no matter the exhaustive nature we may take in finding to understand your holiness, until the day that we get to join in the chorus of the church in heaven singing your praises, we will have no idea. But Lord, don't let that prevent us from seeking a greater understanding while here. God, help us. Fill us with your Spirit. Rekindle the fire that was once within our soul for you. God, help us not be lazy. Let us be intentional. Let us know our purpose. Give us the means to fulfill the purpose that you have for us, for us as individuals, for us as a local church, for us as the universal church, God. We've so normalized the idea of sin that we forgo seeking and understanding your character. Lord, we see time and time again, if we put you first, good things will happen. Give us the strength to do so. Thank you for all you've given us, Lord. Be with us. Lead us. Guide us. Through our week and through our lives. Let us always remember to glorify and praise you. Help us love you and love others. In your son's name we pray. Amen.